Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 25 verses here this evening of Deuteronomy chapter 2. If you would please rise as we honor the public reading of God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Ser for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Ser, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Ser to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you and you also shall buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your, of your hand. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Ser, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle. For I have not given you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. The Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants, like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. The Horites formerly dwelt in Ser, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Now rise and cross over the valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of the Zered. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years, until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them, to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I have not given you any of of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Ser, when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftarim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon. And uh, look, 
I have given into your hand Sion, the, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, in his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven. Who shall, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you? Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. Father, it can at times be difficult to uh, come to passages such as this one and to think, what do all these these wanderings in the wilderness and all these commands not to take land, what, is, what does that have to do with the Christian life? Lord, help us to see that it is very relevant. Help us to see the ways in which even this passage applies, to see your good providence towards your people, your righteous commands towards them, your faithfulness to all of your threats and promises, and even the ways in which you had shown them that you were able and would, in fact, give them the land that you had sworn to their fathers, even as you show us that you are good and able to give us the land that was sworn to us. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you have kids or if you are a kid and have parents, you'll know that uh, parenting can be a very difficult thing. But one of the most important things about parenting is consistency, that if you say something, you do it. Whether it be uh, a promise, if you do this, you'll be rewarded with this or that thing, or whether it be a threat, if you do this, you will be punished with this or that thing. Uh, whether it be threats or promises, consistency in parenting uh, is vital. It's vital for us to know that our parents are faithful to their word and that they seek out our good that they are fair in all that they say, and that they can be trusted in all, uh, in all their words. And the same is true with God. God is called the father of Israel. Uh, you know, when uh, God was threatening uh, Pharaoh with the death of the firstborn, there was this connection. And even before that, there, he says, let my firstborn go, uh, or else I will kill your firstborn. That was ultimately fulfilled uh, in the 10th plague. God has always been the father of the Israelites, and he's leading them now through the desert. We looked last week at the way in which the people of God refused to go into the land, and because of that, they were threatened with a great judgment that all of the people of the previous generation would be killed in the wilderness. And here we have the record of God's faithful carrying out of that threat. He was faithful to everything that he said. Everyone of the previous generation died. And yet, God also made a promise when he, when the people of God refused to go into the land, and when he told them that that old generation was going to die, he said, your children, whom you call a prey, that they, that they would be no, that they'd have no strength to stand for themselves against all the enemies of God's people. They are going to get to go into the land. And here we see in this particular passage that as Israel is wandering through the wilderness for these 38 years, that God was faithful to everything that he said. He was faithful. And because of that then, because he was faithful, he can also be trusted to bring the people into the land. He was faithful in everything that he said to them. Therefore, he can be trusted to bring the people of God into the land. And, and it shows that he is faithful to every threat that he makes to us so that we must take them seriously. And He's able to bring us finally to heaven to be with him in the last day. He's faithful to everything that he does. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 2 is a continuation of the opening of Deuteronomy 
beginning with chapter one all the way through chapter four, which is a, basically a, a historical review of how did we get here. Remember, the people of God are standing now uh, in the plains of Moab on the edge of the Jordan, about to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And Moses is, is recounting how they got to this place to, to emphasize God's gracious character, all that he did. Now, the end of chapter one ends with the people of God uh, being told that they cannot go into the land because of, uh, because of the, uh, the sin of not believing God, not uh, being willing to go up into the land. And then interestingly, when we get to chapter two, verse one, we have, uh, there's the threat in the, at the end of chapter one that the people of God will dwell in the wilderness for 40 years. And then basically the 38 years of wilderness wanderings is summed up in just one verse. Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 1 encompasses all of the 38 years. And then we have basically zooming in on the last few weeks of the wilderness wanderings as they the people of God finally turn and they pass by uh, three different groups of people, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. Clearly here, with such a selective view of the history, Moses is intentionally pointing at certain events that happened that are to shape Israel's understanding of God's relationship with them. Every point that he's going to make here is theological. He's not trying to give a comprehensive history of everything that happened. He's trying to make theological points. And so if we were to ask, okay, what is the point that's being made? Why, why, why emphasize these particular nations, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and particularly why emphasize Israel's interaction with these nations when God did not give any of the land of these nations to the Israelites. It seems kind of uh, tangential to the point of Deuteronomy, which is that you are actually going to take the promised land. Why is it that these instructions are given? Well, the reason is because it shows that God is faithful to give, to uh, carry out all of his threats. There's the mention of uh, it's when they cross the Zerah that all the people from the previous generation had died and even his promises, which he shows by the way in which he actually was faithful to give land to, the, to those who were related to the Israelites. And because God had done that for them, Israel can know that God will do it for the Israelites as well. He can know that he'll do that for them as well. Now, the way this, this passage is broken out, there are three parallel accounts, three parallel sections that deal with the various instructions. Uh, most of, the, most of uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 25 is the instructions about not to take the various lands, again, going from Edom to Moab uh, to the Ammonites. And since there are many parallel things in each of all the instructions, we're, going, we're not going to work straight through the passage. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to, to take the passage in, in two parts, basically looking at God's faithfulness to his threats, which is seen primarily in verses 14 and 15, and then also God's faithfulness to his promises, which are shown in a number of ways and really encompass the rest uh, of the passage. So look with me again then as we consider uh, the passage in more detail, particularly verses 14 and 15. I had mentioned that uh, it's really with the passing by of Moab. When they, when they come into the land of Moab, they cross the Zered. That is the point where uh, Moses indicates to us that at this point, all the people from the previous generation uh, have died. Now, Kadesh Barnea is where they were. It's, so they, it's in Kadesh Barnea that they send in the spies into the land of Canaan. It's south and west of, of the Zered and south and west of uh, the, the land of the Moabites where they are now. They refuse to go in. And then they basically just wander around in almost a circle for a long time uh, around a particular mountain. They are then commanded to go north 
and they begin to cross these other lands. They cross the lands of the Edomites, they cross the lands uh, of the Moabites, and then we are told, uh, specifically, Moses goes out of his way to say, now all of the people from that previous generation is gone. And notice, it's not just because of, of natural conditions. It's not uh, just because you know all people die, they get old, and it just happened to be the case that this happened uh, at this point. But it says specifically in verses 14 and 15, uh, particularly in verse 15, Indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. Moses goes out of his way to say, God's hand was against that generation, and it was a it was part of his judgment that all of their corpses were strewn across the wilderness. It was because of their lack of faith to him and as a punishment for that lack of faith. And we see very, very clearly here, Moses is going out of his way to emphasize God will fulfill all of his threats. Something the wilderness years teach us about God. He will fulfill all of his threats. You know, it's like a father when he says, if you do this, you'll get a spanking. Some children know their father won't give the spanking. Others know that their father will give the spanking. God is one who will give the spanking. When he makes a threat, he will always fulfill it. He says, all of you will die in the wilderness. Moses goes out of his way to say, all of them actually did, in fact, die in the wilderness. Now, this is very important for us to keep in mind as well, because still today, it's not that there's a difference. It's not that, you know, the people of God in the Old Testament were under the law. Therefore, God has many threats. And in the New Testament, there aren't threats because we're in the, the age of the gospel. It's not the case. This is exactly the same for us. Every threat that God makes, he will fulfill. He will fulfill. If you are unfaithful to the Lord, if you do not believe in him, every threat will come about against you. Think of the way that the threats work even in the the letters to the churches in Revelation. If you do not repent over and over again, if you do not repent, I will come. I will remove your lampstand. If you do not repent, I will come with a sword in my hand to bring judgment upon you. I will remove you from being a church if you do not repent. And the testimony of Scripture from the beginning to the end, God is always faithful to his threats. He will always fulfill all of them. And this is an important thing for you to keep in mind because part of faith, part of what it means to believe in God is that you would recognize this, that you would recognize that God is faithful to his threats and you believe them and you tremble at them, something that our confession teaches. Part of faith is trembling at the threats of God. Think of the way this is uh, stated in the, the famous hymn Amazing Grace, that it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Before I believed in God, I had no fear of God. I did not tremble at his threats one bit. But now that I have received grace, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And what seems like a a strange thing to say next, but it's quite true for anyone who has been converted, it was grace that my fears relieved. Grace taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. We we receive uh, the great blessing of knowing that these threats have been paid in in the Lord Jesus Christ and that God will not carry them out on us. And yet there is still a trembling that it would, there is nothing that would frighten us more than to turn away from God, even as the nation of Israel, they found all their dead bodies strewn across the wilderness, so too, every threat that God makes, he will carry out against his people. Which means as well, that all the things of God, all of them, are incredibly urgent. They are incredibly urgent. You cannot put them off uh, for even one day. There is, it's more important than eating or drinking or anything else. All of the threats will come upon you. 
If you die outside of Christ, then you're not guaranteed tomorrow. If you die outside of Christ, every threat being cast out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, all of it will be fulfilled. All these things are highly urgent. And notice as well that this warning is given not to those who are atheists, but to those who are within the covenant community. This is the way that the the apostles apply uh, these examples everywhere. They say, you know, everyone was baptized in Moses. Everyone went through the cloud. Everyone passed through the waters, all of them. And yet with most of them, God was not pleased. And the same could be true today. There can be people in the church who are outwardly covenant members who yet fail to reach the land and who are covenant members who have been baptized, who received the Lord's Supper, and yet whose bodies will be strewn across the wilderness, just like the people of God at this time. These things are urgent. And the way that we, part of the way that we know that we are believers is that we tremble. We tremble at the thought of God's punishments. And so uh, that's one thing that's clearly emphasized that we learned about the wilderness years. But clearly the accent of the passage actually falls on God's faithfulness to his promises. Uh, because it's, there's really a number of different ways where Moses is, in some cases, indirectly speaking to his faithfulness to the promises, uh, and in, in some cases, directly. But really, the rest of the passage, in, in very many ways, hints at this very thing. Notice there's one way that God does this, uh, particularly with the wilderness years themselves in verse 7. So even as even as all of the rest of the people of God, the older generation, all of them are dying in the wilderness, so too... And even though we see that that's from God himself, God it, that happened because God's hand was against them. So too, at the very same time, with the people that he had made promises to, they are supernaturally sustained. Notice what it says in verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Now think about how amazing this is, that the people of God are going through the wilderness and uh, all of the parents... The parents are dying. All the older generation is dying. And yet God is supernaturally sustaining these people. He's feeding them with manna every single day. Every single day he's giving them food from heaven. He's providing for uh, over a million people enough food and water for them to last for 40 years. It's absolutely amazing. And what we see here is that clearly God is faithful to his promises. He promised that generation was going to get to go into the land. And so he preserved them even though it looked like outwardly there was no possible means for them being preserved. He preserved them through the wilderness. He says, I've been with you from the very beginning, and you have lacked nothing, though you have traveled through the wilderness. Now remember, this is incredibly applicable to your life. Remember where you are in redemptive history. You are part of the church in the wilderness. We've been redeemed as the people of God were redeemed. We've been brought out of the house of slavery, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we have not yet crossed over the river into the promised land of Canaan. There are still things that we do not yet have. We're blessed, God is with us, but he's traveling with us through the wilderness, leading us on to our final destination where we'll be with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so this is very important for us. You know, you may feel like as you're going through this life, you're going through a wilderness, that perhaps your life is a 40-year wandering through a wilderness. And yet, you can look back and see, God has been with you. Has he not? Has God not sustained you the whole way? Think of all the things that have happened to you. They may have been tough. They may have uh, been great trials. And yet, God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. 
the fact that God has been with you this long is proof that he will also bring you finally to that final destination. Even as he led you through the wilderness, so he will lead you across the Jordan. He will bring you into the promised land. He will bring you into the great promised land. And so as you go through life, uh, this is a good thing to remember, that even as God uh, God preserved the wilderness generation, so too he will continue to preserve you. Now, one of the things, interesting things that we would uh, can note about the various instructions, you'll notice that, as I mentioned, that there are the instructions given to the various um, about the various uh, groups of people in their lands. Uh, the way that this is structured is uh, there'll be a speech that God gives, and then it'll at times be broken up by a sort of like historical parenthetic note. Um, so we're going to deal with the instructions and then look at the why Moses uh, gives this history of uh, how Edom possessed the Horites and how the Moabites possessed the Emamites and how the Kaftarites possessed the dispossessed the Avites. Like just to see why is why is that important? So there's that there's the the uh, the particular instructions about not to take certain lands, and then the historical parenthetical notes. So notice here that the the highlight of the passage is, again, that the, there are certain lands that were not to be taken. The, the lands of the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites, they are not to be taken. God had a particular land in mind for the people of God. He had a particular land in mind for the Israelites. The, the, the land where he was going to choose to set his name, the land where uh, they would dwell with him forever. And this is something that's important for us to remember. If the, if the Israelites were to say, you know, the land of the Edomites, that really looks great. The land of the Moabites looks great with the Ammonites. I'm going to take their land, and that can be my, my portion from God. The problem is, of course, God has not promised those blessings. He's promised better things, and if you will obey him and seek the blessings that he himself has promised, you will find yourself to be most blessed. But if you seek the things that God has not promised, you'll find yourself disobeying God and you won't, in fact, get to cross over into Canaan. It would have been disobedient for the people of God to try to take the land of the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. And so clearly, one of the things that we see here is that the blessings that God gives are the blessings which he has promised. And this is something that's very important for us to, to remember because in this day, there is always a temptation to believe a gospel which promises things other than the things found in the scriptures. And particularly, this happens with the so-called prosperity gospel, where there are things that are promised to the people of God that have, in fact, no foundation in the word of God, where health, wealth, or prosperity, those, that trio of ideas, that these things are in fact, promise. But the problem is that the Bible does not guarantee these things. The Bible says, pick up your cross and follow me. That, you know, there, you, you may live a, a disease-filled life. You may die young. None of those things are guaranteed. That is, those are not the blessings which has been promised. You are to pass by those blessings as uh, the land of the, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. God has not given you a, even a footstool, a footstep within that land. He has not given you that blessing. Now, it could be that God blesses you with those things. And if he does, you know, thank the Lord for it. But that is not the thing that's guaranteed in the gospel. And just as, just as to try to take the land of these land of these peoples that God had not given the, to the Israelites would be to cheapen the blessings that God had in store for the people of God. So too it is with the prosperity gospel. 
If the people of God tried to take these lands and were successful, they would have a land where God did not dwell. They would have a land where God was not. The reason why God was giving the people of God the land of Canaan was because he was going to choose a place to set his name within Canaan, and God's people would dwell with God in the land. That's the reason the land is so important. Anytime you try to obtain blessings from God that he has not promised, and you make that the foundation of the gospel, it is actually a cheapening of the blessings. And so, you know, uh, health, wealth, and prosperity, those are all great things. And if we have them, we should be very grateful. We should praise God for them. They, however, are not the end goal of the blessings. And if all you have as a foundation for the gospel that you believe in is the blessings of this life, you have been robbed. It's not that you've been given something extra, as in, you know, you have all these great things and those other Christians who don't believe these things, you know, they live lives of tragic suffering. It's not that, it's not that. It's actually that we who suffer have been given far more. We have the blessings of heaven. And for us, the blessings of heaven are worth a little suffering along the way. They're simply worth a little suffering along the way. Anytime we change the blessings that God has promised to us and we're not obedient to the gospel, anytime we do that, we actually cheapen what God has promised to us. God will give us the best. He has promised us the best. Blessings that are incomprehensibly great. Think of this, that you would be called a co-heir with Christ, that he who did not spare his own son would also give give you all things, as it says in Romans chapter 8. He's going to give you all things. He's going to give you all things in this world. Think of this. There's, there's, there's no way that you would ever want to trade even an ounce of the inheritance that is coming for you on the last day for even all the wealth in the world. It simply does not compare. And so, as we see the Israelites, here they are obedient. They pass by certain lands. They, they have their eyes focused on the blessings which God has, in fact, promised his people. And so they do not take the land of the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. Now, the last thing that we want to consider about this passage particularly in verses 10 to 12 and verses 20 to 23. Why does Moses can, uh, speak of these, these historical anecdotes about Edom, Moab, Ammon, and Kaftor? Why does he go out of his way to point out, you know, in times past, the, the Edomites, if you want to know a, a trivia question, the Edomites took the Horites, and the Moabites took the Emamites, and uh, the Ammonites took the Zamzumites, and the Kaftorites took the Avites. Uh, isn't that great that you would know that? Why is it that Moses includes these things, includes these notes? Now, there is, in fact, a, a great reason. And I think if we just look at just uh, describe a little bit about who these different peoples are and uh, what is actually being said, we can, we can get close to the answer. Now, notice the if we ask who are the conquerors, who are the people who dispossess these other peoples? You have first the Edomites. Those are uh, relatives of the Israelites. Remember, the uh, Edomites are those who are descended from Esau who was a brother of uh, Jacob, Jacob and Esau. And so they are uh, fairly close relatives to the Israelites in that way. Uh, obviously, a lot of time has passed, so they're, um, you know, they're, they're, it's sort of a related nation, so to speak. Uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites were descendants of Lot. Remember, Lot is the, the nephew of Abraham, so a, a bit uh, more distantly related to the Israelites, and yet still uh, those who are related. The Kaphtorites is actually another name for the Philistines, and Kaphtor is a name for the island of Crete. And so they had come and they uh, take, uh, it says here, they take Gaza, which is on the west side uh, of the land of Canaan. 
So those are the those are the conquerors. Now, if we ask who are the people who are uh, who were taken, all of them. The, we have the Horites, the uh, Emamites, the Zamzumites, and the Avites. All of them are described as being part of the Rephaim or the Anakim, which means all of them are giants. All of them are giants, and all the people who are related to the Israelites are not giants. And this is important then because the question would be, how is it? How is it that these little people, the people of the, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Copterites, how is it that they dispossessed these great people who are described as tall, strong, and numerous? How is it that they were able to do this? Well, it's not because of their gods. It's not because the god of, of Chemosh or Molech is, is so great and strong to bring them in. Notice in all of these historical anecdotes, and even in the instructions not to take the lands, God says, I have given this land to this people, and that's why they're there. That's why they're there. Now, remember, this is exactly the situation that the people of God were in at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Go into the land. And they say, how can we go into the land? The Anakim are there. They're so big and strong. And here, Moses reminds the people, now, just so you know, as you're passing by the Edomites, remember that they were just like you, and yet God gave them the land against the giants. And as you pass by the Moabites, remember that the Moabites were just like you. They were really small, but God gave them the land anyway. And he, and he even dispossessed the giants to do so. And as you pass by the Ammonites and you, you say to yourself, you know, they're, they're so small. God gave them that land against the giants. God was always able to give the land to whomever he will. He is mighty and he is completely sovereign. And even though the giants may seem big in the eyes of various peoples, yet God is mightier. And if he fights for the people then they will always win. And this is something that God shows, that Moses shows, that God had done for a number of other peoples, peoples who were not even called the chosen people of God. How can you doubt when God was able to dispossess these, uh, these great and strong peoples, just like he's going to do for you? How can you doubt that he's going to do that when he did it four times for these people who did not even have the kinds of promises that you have? That's, I think, the point of the historical anecdotes. All of them were giants. All of them lost their land. God gave them all. And now as you stand on the edge of this Jordan and you look down and you see all of this great enemy that's standing before you, you can know God will do the same for you. You have better promises than they do. God is faithful to everything that he has promised. And so why, why these historical anecdotes? To give the people of God confidence that they will in fact possess this great land. And there are a number of ways in which God does this today. You think all the way through church history, all the ways in which God so wonderfully preserved various people at various times, all of those historical anecdotes, you could call them, all of them show us that God, even as God was faithful to others, you think of people who uh, were arrested and then burned at the stake for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they testified, even as they're burning, to the grace of God as they face that great trial. And they know then that they're immediately, they're preserved and they're immediately translated into glory. All of this shows God is faithful. All the things that God has done in the past makes it particularly clear that he will in fact save his people. Even things that God does for unbelievers. Notice that's what's happening here. Even things God does in his providence for unbelievers can be seen to show that God is a God of redemption. You think of, uh, sometimes you see uh, great redemption stories of uh, various people. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is uh, Tiger Woods. You know, he just uh, won the Masters last year. And uh, in terms of a dramatic uh, story of uh, comeback, there's really not anything like it, I don't think, in, in uh, at least not that I know of. 
but even there, God is a God of redemption. Now, Tiger Woods is, is uh, far from the Lord. He doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But those kinds of stories still show us that there is something too. Uh, someone being down and out and yet then being lifted up. Even that is comprehended by the providence of God. And as God does that even for others, how could you, how could you doubt that if God would allow Tiger Woods to go from that, those depths to that height without believing in him, that he'll do so much more for you? that he'll do so much more for you, that you could be at the very bottom, the lowest of places. God will take care of you and he will bring you finally into the land. You have every reason to believe. You've been given everything in the scriptures to believe. And even all the things that happen within this life show you that God is faithful to everything that he promises. All of these things we learn from the wilderness years of the Israelites. God is faithful to his threats. He'll execute all of them. He's faithful to preserve the godly, to lead them through this wilderness and finally bring them into the land. He's faithful to give them all the things that he has promised and everything that he does shows that he will in fact do this. And so the question, brothers and sisters, this evening is, will you learn these lessons from the wilderness years and go into the promised land? Remember, that's, that's the entire goal of, of all of this. Moses wants the people to reflect on where they've been and then to take those steps across the Jordan. That's the whole goal. Go in and possess the land. Will you learn these lessons from the wilderness years and go in and possess the land? May God grant us the grace so that all of us would attain to that blessed land on the last day. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how thankful we are for your word. How thankful we are, O oh Lord, that you give these great examples. We're thankful for even the varied ways in which you do this. You give us uh, great theological statements in Paul. You give us uh, great accounts of the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, the, the poetic uh, preaching and calls to repentance of the prophets, and even lessons from the historical account of your people wandering through the wilderness. You give picture lessons through uh, all of the, the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Lord, all of these varied ways you teach your people how it is that they are to live. And Lord, we're so thankful. Lord, would you grant us the grace so to, to persevere and reach the land on the last day. Lord, would you look so much forward to that day when, when we will be with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth when you'll wipe away every tear from every eye, when we will be in that place with you where there'll be no need for sun, moon, or star, or any such thing, for you will be in our midst as our light, and the tree of life will be there, and we will be in communion with you forever. Lord, help us to have our eyes on those things and to know that you are faithful to bring us there. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.